Thanks for listening to one of our messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in person and online. To find out more about our church or to connect to any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. Hey, today is going to be a really good day for a couple reasons. One, you don't have to listen to me. And two, um, we have some baptisms at the end of the service. We get to celebrate life today, which is exactly what we talk about when we talk about Jesus coming near. It's the beginning and the hope of the promise that we might have life with the God who created us. And it's crazy, this sermon series that we're kicking off today, worship is powerful. Music is powerful. God designed it to be that way. That's why the largest book in your Bible is all songs. It's why we remember songs from when we were kids, but we can't remember much else. It sticks with us in a way that just words don't. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to look at different Christmas hymns, different Christmas carols. And so often, we just sing them because we know the words and we're supposed to, but these songs were written to communicate a truth about God that's deeply rooted in scriptures. And so JT is going to kick off our series, and today we're going to look at what child is this. But before we do that, let's do what we do at CBC each and every week. We, we live in a very critical culture, and so often we forget that this space is different than that space. This space, when we come together, is a place not for us to look with what's wrong, with what's going on in front of us, but to ask where God is speaking to us, how he's shaping us, informing us, because we know that he's near. It's what we celebrate in this season. And so we're going to take just a couple minutes, and I'm going to ask that you pray silently to yourself, and I'll, I'll lead us through that, that we might find where God is speaking to us, and we might find what God has to say through JT this morning. So join me, and let's pray. God, I'm thankful to be here, that, that we can come here and recalibrate our world around what's truly good, around what's worthy of worship, around the person and work of Jesus this morning. I, I pray as we dive into some scriptures and a familiar Christmas carol, Holy Spirit, that you speak to us and through your word. If you're comfortable, I'd ask that you just take a couple seconds and you pray that the Holy Spirit this morning might speak to your spirit and show us more of God's goodness. And I ask that you pray for JT, that God uses his preparation and wisdom and insight to help us see a bigger picture of the gospel and give depth to the song that we know well and these stories that we've probably heard once or twice before. pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Am I on? There we go. Good morning and Merry Christmas to you guys. Only three weeks left to say Merry Christmas, so we've got to get it in as many times as we can, right? You know, I bet if I were to ask you what your favorite Christmas carol was, you'd be able to tell me like that. And then five seconds later, you'd say, wait a minute, JT, I've got another one. And then about five seconds later, you'd have a handful of Christmas carols. You may not remember the names of all of the Christmas carols, but you'd certainly know how to sing them, right? 
Well, that's what happened to me when Charlie approached me and said, hey, JT, we're going to launch a Christmas series centered on Christmas carols. I'd like for you to pick your favorite Christmas carol, share it with the congregation. I said, instantly, I know exactly what carol that is. That's got to be Little Drummer Boy, right? I mean, that's everybody's favorite. It's my favorite for various reasons. I mean, it's a great story. Look at the Little Drummer Boy, right? You have little baby Jesus. Everyone's bringing their, their gifts to the baby Jesus, and there's this little drummer boy who feels bad because he doesn't have anything to give. But he has a drum, and he's not giving that, is he? No, but he's smart enough to know that you don't make loud noises around babies. So he doesn't play his drum, even though he's there with the baby Jesus, right? That is until he gets the nod that every drummer secretly wants to, to see. And that's the nod for the drum solo. So he plays his drum, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum, for the baby Jesus. And while that song is a great one, I felt like it lacked the theological depth that I needed <laughs> for you guys this morning. So I went back to the drawing board, but like I said, easy, right? Because two or three within 10 seconds, I mean, I was making a list in my head. That's when I found the perfect song. It checked all of the boxes. It, it embodied Christmas spirit. It had theological depth. I mean, I was going to have to go back and do some study just to be able to draw all of the depth out of the song, right? It even had a little good versus evil in it. But wiser minds prevailed, and Grandma got run over by a reindeer. wasn't meant to be, at least not this Christmas season. <laughs> Still maybe next Christmas season. I'm not saying, but you know if you take the letters and the name Santa and you rearrange them, they spell Satan. I'm just, okay, we won't go there. Okay. Really, though, right, when, when we think about launching a series on uh, Christmas carols, right, the proper way to start is really to focus our time, our energy on the baby Jesus. And that's when What Child Is This came to mind. So um, a little bit about What Child Is This and how it was written. There was a guy in uh, Glasgow, Scotland, back in the 1860s, I think it was written in 1865, by the name of William Chatterton Dix. I'll call him Bill today. So Bill was a regular guy. He worked for an insurance company, and Bill actually suffered from depression. And uh, at one point in his life, Bill became very ill. And uh, through that illness, he had kind of a spiritual awakening. And in that spiritual awakening, Bill began to write poetry and Christmas hymns of all things. Bill had a real focus on Christmas. so. Here in just a few weeks, I think we're about three weeks out, our uh, 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 sanctuary, if you will, our auditorium will be full of people, right? People are going to start piling in for Christmas. I mean, Christmas and Easter are two of the big ones, right? And really, the average religious person in America only attends church about a handful of times. So those are big ones for them to come and see, for sure. Uh, I mean, they're like the Super Bowl and the Stanley Cup of Christendom, right? You know... Stanley Cup is like the hockey Super Bowl, if you guys, okay, never mind. Um, anyway, we step it up too, though, right? We kind of amp it up around Christmas time and Easter time as well. I mean, uh, you know, you're, let's say you're shopping at Dick's Sporting Goods, and you're checking out, and when the clerk says, happy holidays to you, what do you guys answer? Merry Christmas, right? We're not happy holidays people, we're Merry Christmas people. So then afterwards, you hop in your car, 
and you head over to Starbucks, right, because you want to make sure you take advantage of the limited time offer to get a peppermint frappuccino. And while you're sitting in the drive-thru, you look in your rearview mirror, you think, you know what? I'm in the giving spirit. I think I'm going to buy coffee for the car behind me. And let me just side note say, I'm a big fan of people buying coffee for people that they love. So do that, okay? So you look in your rearview mirror, just double check, make sure there's two or fewer people in the car because you're not looking to (laughs) buy for a whole busload of people. And then you pay for their coffee, right? Don't even get me started on social media. I see what, I'm connected to you people. I know what you're posting out there, right? Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen. Let's put Christ back in Christmas. I'm 110% behind you on that, right? That's not even to mention the amount of time that we put into preparing our homes and the meals and, and the preparation that we put on our trees. I mean, did you know that the average mama out here in the audience today will spend about 20 hours shopping for Christmas presents? Do you know the average person in the house that's wrapping gifts is going to wrap for about three hours this Christmas season? We've got lots of these good stats, right? Do you know that it takes the average two-person crew about an hour and a half to two hours to string lights up on a house? That's why I've got a guy. I used to do that, but now I've got a guy. A couple of years ago, I put the job out to bid because I was, technically I was afraid that I'd get too high in the house and I'd fall off and the driveway's right there. It just wasn't a safe thing for me. So I put the job out to bid, and my neighbors actually um, introduced me to this couple that that puts lights on houses. The the wife, she kind of runs the show. She's the books, if you will, and the guy, he's the latter guy. But when he gave me the bid, I knew right away it was divine providence. This was my crew, right? Their names, you can't make this up, Maria and Jesus. Jesus puts lights on my, my, my house every year. So, however you look at it, right, Christmas is a big investment for us. We put a lot of time into Christmas uh, in preparations for our house and decorating trees and making sure that the meals are perfect. Um, It's a time of investment. And while all of these things are really good things, we need to make sure that we don't overlook the best thing, right? And so that's why today William Chatterton Dix, Bill, is going to help focus us on the best thing. So let's jump right in. Verse 1. This is Christ's arrival. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. Now we'll put a verse up here from Luke that uh, you guys can read if you like. I'm sure you've read it before. Uh, This correlates to this first verse of what child is this, but uh, I'll, I'll just expound upon it a bit, right? So here we have this wonderful picture that's been painted by William Chatterton Dix, right? It's a picture of the king of kings come as a baby. More than that though, right? It's the Messiah, the creator of the universe, laying as a baby boy in his mother's lap. Wow. And then look at the dichotomy of what's happening, what's taking place at the same time. You've got the angel armies of heaven worshiping, singing praise to the king of kings. And then look at the welcoming committee that Jesus has here, right? 
He's laying in a stable. There's probably some chickens, right? Donkey, ox, some stinky shepherds roll through. Wow. And I don't know if you guys know, you probably do, right? But shepherds weren't exactly the aristocracy of the day. Shepherds tended to be the youngest son of the lower class. Did you know that? You see, a family who might have a little plot of land would have a baby. And that, that baby, that baby boy would grow up a little bit. Didn't have to be very old, just old enough to be able to hold a stick and give him a staff. You go hang out with the sheep. See, the sheep will watch him while he watches them. That lets the dad do some work, right? And then as you have another baby, another little boy, he grows up. He takes that little boy's place so that that boy can be promoted. Then he helps mom and dad, probably dad, uh, with agriculture, right? And harvesting, planting, plowing, whatever needs to happen. We see an example of this with King David. Remember when Samuel came to anoint King David, he showed up at King David's house, the house of Jesse. And he asked Jesse to, to bring out his son. He wanted to anoint him the new king uh, of Israel. And uh, Jesse brought forth a son, and in, Samuel inspected him and said, No, I don't, this isn't the guy. Do you have any other sons? So he did it again and said, No, this isn't the one. Who else do you have? And that happened over and over and over seven times. And Samuel finally said, Okay, what are we missing here? Who's left? And Jesse said, Well, there is the little guy, but he's out with the sheep. Is that the one you want? He said, bring him out here. Sure enough, right? All that said, right, you've got uh, this dichotomy, this picture. Um, look at how kings are celebrated today when they're born. If we think about Prince William and Princess Kate, they've got a son, right? His name is Prince George, I think. Do you guys remember when he was born? Every news outlet in the world covered that birth. Uh, newspapers ran pictures of the baby. I remember seeing a news story where people were lined up on the gates of Buckingham Palace not to catch a glimpse of the baby, but rather to see a glimpse of the birth announcement. And then think about celebrities today. That's just crazy. Remember Kim and Kanye when they were still together and they had their first baby? I think some media outlet paid them $20 million dollars for the first photos of their baby so that they could run it in the paper. Is that just nuts, right? So why don't we see the same kind of fanfare for the king of kings when he comes? That's because Israel didn't realize that this was the king of kings, right? Israel wasn't expecting this child that came and was born and, uh, in a manger, staying in a manger, such humble beginnings. They were looking for a Messiah that would rule as king and sit on David's throne. That means that he would descend from David's bloodline, which Jesus, of course, did. They, they just didn't realize that. They were looking for a conquering Messiah who would help them overthrow the oppression of the Roman government, who would usher in a new golden age of wealth and prosperity, peace and justice. They weren't expecting Jesus. Psalm 72.11 says this, All kings will bow down to him, all nations will serve him. This is the king that they expected to see, and this is the king that will be coming back, right? The Jewish people would have been very familiar with the prophecy about their Messiah and their king. Isaiah 11.4 says this, He will treat the poor fairly and make right decisions for the downtrodden of the earth. 
He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and order the wicked to be executed. Wow, that's judgment. Someone's going to be smited, right? I mean, that's what they're looking for. Even John the Baptist. What did John say when he saw Jesus walking down the riverbank? You guys remember that, right? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But just a few weeks later, John would be found in prison, called his disciples and said, hey, I need you to do me a favor. Go talk to Jesus. The disciples came over to Jesus and said, hey, I know that John announced that you're the guy, but we just want to make sure, are you the guy that we're looking for? Should we be looking for somebody else? Even John's expectations were different. He was looking for judgment. It's interesting that God's answer to a fallen world wasn't to send a mighty military strategist. It was to send this little child. All right, so uh, let's jump to verse 2. This is why he came. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? The end of fear for all who hear the silent word is speaking. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. Where ox and ass are feeding is probably an allusion to Isaiah 1-3 that says, An ox recognizes its owner, a donkey recognizes where its owner puts its food, but Israel does not recognize me. My people do not understand me. I like to think that, you know, this ox and this uh, donkey and whatever other animals are here in the manger certainly recognize their creator. And there weren't many people in Israel that knew that Jesus was there or expected him to come. The end of fear for all who hear The silent word is speaking. I know what you're thinking. JT, what kind of poetic oxymoron is that? The silent word is speaking. Well, remember, the word is just another name for Jesus, right? John said in John 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. So this picture of the silent word that we see here is the baby Jesus laying in his mom's lap. But how can the silent word be speaking? Well, we have, we have a, uh, a phrase that we use often, right? A picture's worth a thousand words. A picture doesn't speak, but it's speaking. I used to have a T-shirt that I wore in university. I caught a lot of grief from it from my uh, theological buddies, right? They would make fun of me for wearing it, but I still thought it was cool. Um, it was a quote that was attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. You guys remember him? You know, sometimes you'll see a little concrete statue in somebody's garden of a monk holding a water tray and a bird in the other hand, you know. Um, It said this. It said, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. That's what we're seeing here with the baby Jesus, right? Just simply the eternal Son of God stepping out of heaven to become flesh and dwell among us speaks volumes. So how does Jesus dispel our fear, right? Well, he did that through his life and through his death and through his resurrection. We know that he conquered the world. As a matter of fact, as he was preparing for his crucifixion, he knew that his disciples were going to be afraid. And so he sat them down and he said to them, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble and suffering but take courage, for I have overcome the world. 
Fear is normal, right? It's a normal emotion that we all deal with on a very regular basis because we fear what we cannot control. But when I remember that God is bigger than my situation, then I don't fear what I can't control because I know that God is in control of everything, right? I don't see heads nodding. You know what that means? I know what you're thinking. You're saying, yeah, JT, that's easier said than done. Absolutely. That's a very tough thing, right? It, it forces us to, to exercise our faith muscle. Second Timothy says this, Second Timothy 1.7, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's what God gives us. So you want to know what that looks like? When put into action, right? Real-world application. Let me tell you a story. I've got a really good friend that's friends with many of you. And uh, he spends his Sunday mornings ministering to uh, seniors at one of our local senior uh, living facilities here in the Flower Mound area. He was recently diagnosed with cancer. And he sent out a communication to me, to some of his friends and family, just to give a status update on how he was doing. And in the status update, three things jumped out at me immediately. First, he said this. He gave praise to God. The second thing was he acknowledged that he had great doctors, but he knew the sovereignty of God. He said, God is in control of everything, and because of that, I am not afraid. And number three, he said that he would continue to bring glory to God through his service at the nursing home, at the senior living facility, regardless even though he was going through chemotherapy and radiation treatment. Some of those treatments so bad that they've, they've burned him pretty severely. All right, so we'll move to now verse number three. How do we respond to that, right? If all of this is true. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. We don't see a picture of the wise men here, but we see their gifts, right? We know that these are the gifts that they brought. They're individual gifts. And just like the wise men, we too have our own individual gifts that we offer to the king of kings. It may be, um, you know, you may be a great earner. It may, might be a financial gift. You may have the greatest gift of all, and that's patience with children, right? Maybe you can help serve in the back with the children. That's a tough one. I've tried that before. It takes a lot of patience. It may be the gift of music. maybe the gift of teaching. Whatever that is, we all have a gift to give. But when we all come together, we have special gifts as well. Just last week, CBC came together to package love packs for families in need, right? We work together, put everything in boxes to serve our community. And while we're serving the community, that service is given to God as a gift. Every Sunday we come together, and what do we do? Andy leads us in worship. We sing together. We combine our voices in unity together to worship God. That's our gift to him. Next line says, Come peasant king to love him. Now, I've sang this song for 30 some odd years, 40 years, I don't know, right? And I've always thought that this said, Come peasant and come king to love him. But after much introspection and reflection and reading of this many times, I don't think that's what's being said here because notice there's a missing fatal comma, right? Come peasant king to love him. No comma there. So in light of the verse above, where we have the gifts of the three wise men, we, we think three wise men, right? Now follow me, stick with me if you will. Three wise men, we also call them what? The three kings, don't we? Right? So come peasant king to love him. I think what Bill is trying to tell us here 
is that in the grandeur, the greatness, the magnificence of the king of kings, all other kings of the world fall short, right? They're peasant kings. The king of kings salvation brings. Now, back in Jesus' time, there was a custom. On the eighth day, a mom and dad would take their newborn, firstborn son to the temple in Jerusalem to present him to God. And they would make an offering of two turtle doves or two pigeons. Why is that? Because God considered the firstborn son holy, set apart for him. So Mary and Joseph load up on the donkey, put Jesus in the baby seat, off to the temple they go, right? Well, there's a man that lives in Jerusalem by the name of Simeon. And Simeon was an old guy. And the way I read it, I think he was ready to depart. He was ready to go to paradise. But the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon, and the Holy Spirit told Simeon that he would not depart until he saw God's salvation. That is, until he saw the Messiah. One day, Simeon was led by the Spirit to the temple. And as he walks in the temple, he sees Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And so he walks over, and he grabs baby Jesus and holds him in his arms, and he blesses God, saying this, Now, Lord, you are letting your bondservant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation for the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon had seen God's, God's salvation, and he blessed God for it. We've seen God's salvation, and what's our response? I think Bill has it right, right? The last line in the final verse before the final chorus says this, let loving hearts enthrone him. Well, why do we enthrone him? I mean, you know, if it's true that Jesus came, you know, stepped down out of heaven to become flesh and dwell among us so that we could have salvation, that's why we enthrone him. That's why we pause here at Christmas and we say, wow, what child is this? This is the child that came to remove the sin of mankind. I remember when uh, my oldest son, Grant, who's now 18, he's at Texas Tech. He'll be back with us for a few weeks. Next week, we're looking forward to him coming home. But I remember when he was a little boy. He was probably two or three. And uh, at the time, I didn't work from home. Many of us do now. Thank you, COVID. Um, but I didn't work from home at the time. And I would come home, and it was my favorite time of the day. I'd walk in the front door, open the door, and it didn't matter what he was doing. He would drop everything. And when I say it didn't matter, like, you know how little guys, if you remember, if you've had them, how they love fruit snacks, right? He'd have a bag of fruit snacks. He'd drop the fruit snacks, run straight for me, wrap his arms around my leg, wrap his legs around my leg, slide down my leg like it was a pole, right? And then sit on my foot. And then for the next five or ten minutes, I would walk him around the house, you know, Greet the dog, hug my wife. He loved that. I love that. Still love it. We run to the things that we love. Right? If all of this is true, if Jesus came to give us peace and dispel our fear, if he came to, you know, um, bring salvation so that we could have a restored relationship with God, if he came to do all that, what's the proper response for us? 
What do we do? We run to him. We run to him in worship. Haste, haste to bring him praise. On December 26th or December 27th, all of the, the, the wrapping paper from the opened gifts that we have uh, will be in the trash can. We'll start cleaning up, right? Come January 1st, I know what you guys will be doing. You'll be watching the NHL Winter Classic. That's the big outdoor game. We all watch it, I know. We'll be watching that on TV, probably taking ornaments down from the tree, set the tree out by the curb, perhaps uh, put it up in the attic, wherever it goes. January 15th, Maria will send Jesus over to the house to take the lights off. I know some of you like to keep your lights up until March. Hey, this is a judgment-free zone. That's okay. I applaud that, actually. But it makes you think about all of the time that we put into Christmas, right? We, we spend a lot of time. We're invested in Christmas, certainly financially. We're invested in the time that we spend shopping for gifts for our families, we're invested in making sure that Christmas dinner is absolutely perfect, right? We want it to be just right. And those are all good things. There's nothing wrong with those things. Matter of fact, those are the right things. We need to be celebrating with our family. But we spend so much time invested in these things that um, it's easy to see that, uh, that, that it could be that some of our focus might be misplaced, right? In a season of all of these good things that we have, it's important for us to know, important for us to remember that we, we shouldn't overlook the best thing, and that is the incarnation of Christ. You bow your heads with me, please. Jesus, today we come before you and we thank you for becoming a man so that you could pay the price for our sins. Um, we thank you that we don't have to be enslaved by fear because you've overcome the world. This season, while we enjoy time with our friends and our family, while we enjoy um, giving gifts, please help us not to forget the best part of Christmas, and that's you coming near to mankind. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen.